evening, everybody, and welcome into a little Wednesday night hockey talk here on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber with you alongside Blues assistant coach Steve Ott who joins us this week on tonight's edition of Behind the Bench. It is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. You can increase the style and the value of your home with new hardwood floors. It's a local family-owned business doing quality work in our community for more than 22 years. Three area showrooms, and you can shop online at boardwalkhardwood.com. I just did a basement remodel, finishing it up now, actually, and use them for the hardwood portion of the basement remodel that I've been doing. So uh, check out Boardwalk Hardwood Floors and, again, BoardwalkHardwood.com. Well, we continue with our profiling of members of the Blues front office uh, behind the bench. And if you missed any of the shows where we've highlighted everyone from Al Arbor to Red Berenson to Scotty Bowman to Craig Berube to Larry Plo and others. Uh, last week was Mike Van Ryan. Well, uh, and tonight we're doing Steve Ott. You can, of course, check out the podcast of the show, and that podcast is at 101ESPN.com. Let's get right at it. Steve Ott joining us here on the program tonight. Otter, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Curb, so I appreciate you having me on. Man, you have dealt with lockouts in your playing career. Uh, you have dealt with different issues. Uh, this one, no doubt, is unique as it, as it gets. Uh, how are you making your way through what's going on right now? Uh, well, you know what? To be honest with you, like everybody else, um, you know, we, we practice social distancing to a stronghold. Um, you know, it's kind of reconnected with the family of how busy we've been for the last year and a half. Uh, good busy, I should say. So, you know what, to, to spend time with my, my growing children every single day and my wife, uh, it, it's, it's been a blessing as well in the sense of uh, family time. But like everybody else, uh, I'm ready to get going. You know what, you you almost have to look at it, uh, don't you, from uh, that standpoint of found time. And for the fans out there that may not know kind of how this world works, you, you are going at such a nonstop pace. And with the, su- the success the team had last year, it really was nonstop throughout the whole summer. Then it felt like it ran right into this the current season that the, we are waiting to continue, that you really have to take advantage of some of that downtime and family time. And right now, this is found time. It sure is, Curbs. And you know what? Uh, it, it, it's good found time where, you know, like I said, uh, kind of re- reintroducing yourself into a full-time basis. Uh, you know, my wife does, you know, all the heavy lifting. We're on the road so much, especially the long playoff run and, and the amount of time as a coaching staff we, we put in, you know, and, and busy with videos and, and, you know, all the, the kind of the life aspect, life aspect of things. Kind of the standstill of everything has really, you know, brought our family into an ultimate closeness again. And, uh, you know, I, I know my boys and my daughter are really loving it as well. Are you doing any video work uh, during this downtime looking at things, or are you giving yourself a, a good mental break too? You know, a little bit of both, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we, we have met regularly on the, the Zoom calls as a coaching staff. And there's been some, you know, portions and video we want to make sure that we're ready to go. So, yes, we've been kind of all doing our own separate thing in the, in the sense of what our belongings are as a, as a coaching staff and, uh, you know, thinking of different ideas of what has worked extremely well this season and, and what maybe we can possibly improve on and, and kind of just brainstorming a lot. But, you know, what? There's, uh, there's definitely some stuff to always do and always uh, continue to make sure you're staying sharp by, by being on that computer, you know, as, as well. Did you think you would enjoy coaching as much as you do? <laughs> I knew I would, to be honest with you, Curbs. Um, you know, my last 
I would say five years being, you know, banged up with injuries, uh, you know, really put me on the other side of the things. I uh, spent a lot of time, you know, studying, you know, film. Hitch was a big mentor to me when I was injured, uh, having me, you know, do little little projects for him and whatnot. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't wait to, to transition into my next, into my next phase after my long playing career. So, you know what, it, it's been, it's been extremely seamless. And, uh, you know what, I, I, I truthfully, I, I absolutely love it. What were some of those projects that Hitch gave you? You know what, he would, he would have me. So I was sitting on the couch with a hamstring injury there for about five months. So I had, I had uh, nothing to do, but obviously want, want to help out and reached out to him uh, as well. So, you know what, he would, he would have me, you know, watching guys, you know, who's, and I, you know, wasn't in in a a sense suing anybody or whatnot. It was more of, 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 kind of the ialytic side of things so you know who's winning 50 50 battles who's losing 50 50 battles who's uh turning over the puck who's 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 a dominant player and just doing little uh you know little eye assessments i guess you can say and, and kind of just talking to him on the side of things and he would teach me oh you know, system wise uh certain aspects that he's looking for or, or may have slipped so not only was it you know uh individual based it was more of uh team-based as well you know hey why are we a little bit loose on our structure here are those things that i've noticed you know over over months of play and uh you know he's, he's a he's a you know hall of fame coach and whatnot and it was it was pretty pretty interesting just uh to have that communication with a guy like him we're talking with steve ott the blues assistant coach a playing career of 848 games in the national hockey league and was a part of this coaching staff that won a Stanley Cup last season with the St. Louis Blues. Last week, we talked things over with Mike Van Ryan, and we asked him, and I'm going to ask you the same question, what is it about this coaching staff that has gelled so well for you guys? Well, first of all, I think we're all on the exact same page. Uh, we we are very tight. We're a close group. We're open to each other's, you know, from from learning off each other to coming up with uh, ideas. I think the the work uh aspect of things is extremely strong and you know our personal lives are extremely strong as well so i think the players recognize how close we are as a staff and how how our message is all the exact same from you know every member of our staff and that goes from you know our video coach sean farrell down to dave alexander our goalie coach and even our new guy mark savard so you know when you're all on the same page you want the same thing and the message is always consistent i think it's an extremely predictable coaching staff and uh you know what I, I i've said it to many guys i wish i was able to play for a staff like ours uh, on a daily basis making it you know a, a, a good environment to come to the rink to, together every single day and you know what also helps is winning yeah there's nothing better than winning everybody knows that And when you're having success not only as a coaching staff but as a team it sure does breed a lot of positivity now, you didn't start down on the bench. You started up in the press box uh, for a while there. What perspective did you get from out high? Well, you know what? Again, going back to one of those injuries, when I was able to finally go to the rink, I was kind of helping out as, you know, an eye in the sky, and Army had me sitting up there uh, as well when, uh, you know, in that box. So uh, when I wasn't helping you with uh, some colored couple of <laughs> games there, I, I helped you out as well. But you know what? Just, just watching the structure, the systems, knowing, uh, you know, it, it's a different vibe, different feel up there, but you can really see breakdowns extremely well. So, you know, radioing down to certain situations as a as the eye in the sky, relating things that, you know, you try to get ahead of so you maybe you can adjust during the game and coming in there, 
between periods uh, was was uh, something that you know I, I learned what to say, what to talk about, what uh, at, at the time Mike Yo what he wanted from me and um, all those things. So you know what I learned an, an absolute ton up there just in the side of communication wise what I needed to do and what uh, what happened from there. But to be honest with you, there's nothing better than being on the bench. Um, you know, playing like you said, my my playing career a lot of time in that middle of the bench <laughs> not getting ice time so some nights so you know and i got a pretty good perspective down there to be honest with you at curb so <laughs> you know it, it it's now it's been uh, seamless since chiefs brought me uh from from up top down on the bench what is something that as a player you hated a coach would do and now as a coach you're making sure that you won't do the same thing you know what? The the number one thing would be honesty is the one thing. Uh, for me, it's honesty is always the best policy, and guys want to be straight up. There's no beating around the bush about anything. You want to be told what you know in in and be informed. And obviously, limiting limiting the obvious situation. So you know, a guy guy you know, there's times that you know someone needs to be barked at for you know turnovers or turnovers or uh, you know lack of structure and. And you know they're going to be here, uh, hearing about it. But there's also times when a guy knows he, he's he's screwed up or made a mistake that uh, that you know he feels you know poorly about as a team. So uh, you know just just having the feel, the proper feel of what the guy is going through, the players going through, is something that I've always you know said to myself as a player. Well, you know what, you know those those scenarios that come up and they come up very often. You got to have the right feel to be able to you know get the best out of a player as well. Hey, I know it hasn't been a long time on the bench or as a coach yet, but but you did have such a, a good long career. What do you think it is, or what happens with coaches in your mind, where that sense of the team or that that feel of the team seems to get lost, or that ability to communicate and and and, and I don't want I'm not talking about you know uh, you know the old well they they've tuned out the coach that kind of thing, but where the X's and O's almost seems to take over more than, than coaching the individual and motivate the player. Um, you, you know what? I, I think for a lot of coaches and I, I don't want to you know speak off base because, you know, everybody's in, in different situations in life and whatnot, but pressure sometimes gets the best of a lot of people. And, and, and it's how you handle that pressure. I think personally, um, you know, the, the, the ups, the downs, the, the middle ground, all those things, players are the first person to know, you know, to, to know what the coach is feeling. Is, you know, is he, is, he, is he coaching with some more anxiety than usual? Is he, is he look stressed? Is he, is he preaching something that he, yeah, he nor- normally doesn't preach? I mean, all the players are looking, they're listening to the, the, you know, the pop words that you usually hear. And you can tell when your coach is off or anybody's off. So, you know what, like I said, the players usually know first. And in keeping them consistent, having a consistent message, and being yourself, don't be somebody you're, you're, you're not. Because you know what, people read through that awfully quick. So that's a that's a big deal as well. And uh, you know, maybe some some of the experiences I learned from coaches throughout my day, and you know, taking little pieces of negativity and positivity from certain people in my life, kind of led me into different examples as well. We're talking with Steve Ott, Blues assistant coach here on tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. And what do you think at this point in time is the most enjoyable aspect of coaching for you? Uh, well, first of all, uh, 
winning the Stanley Cup last year was was the ultimate goal, and that came young and you know for our staff to be put together and and win right away. But to be honest with you, uh, myself personally, on an individual basis, is when when uh, in my aspect of coaching as an assistant, I do a lot of individual work with certain uh, guys, especially the young guys. And, and hold, you know, video sessions or, or try to, you know, groom or mentor them in, in a scenario from a coach's standpoint. And when they start having certain success, there's nothing better than, than knowing that your coaching abilities are working and they're responding to, to what you're saying. And I've, I've kind of seen some certain examples of that and just watch, you know, the player obviously continue to progress or develop into a certain, uh, certain NHL player and, to watch that, uh, there's no better feeling as a coach to have somebody else have uh, success through your help. It was definitely a heck of a lot. It was fun just to watch you guys work actually through that that whole success too. I mean, it's a it, it's a fascinating aspect of winning a championship. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Steve Ott's lived in a lot of places. We'll talk about it in a moment. You're listening to the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show right here on 101 ESPN. Welcome back into uh, the Behind the Bench Show, presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Glad to have you with us. Chris Kerber with you, and alongside tonight, Blues assistant coach Steve Ott, who is uh, a Stanley Cup champion as as an assistant coach in the National Hockey League. The playing career in the National Hockey League started back in 2002-2003 with the Dallas Stars, went to Buffalo, came to St. Louis, of course, in that trade with Ryan Miller from the Buffalo Sabres and then finished his uh, career with Detroit and Montreal one final season in the National Hockey League. Steve, originally born in Prince Edward Island, but you have lived all over the place, haven't you? I sure have, Curbs. Uh, you know, both my parents were Canadian Air Force, so we moved an extremely amount of times from a lot of different postings and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to leave from Prince of Island and go to northern uh, Manitoba, close to Winnipeg, and have a lot of flooded outdoor ice time. And that, that was my best friend was that hockey rink and kind of took me into my NHL career from there. But there was a lot of, a lot of good that came from those moves as well and uh, a lot of adversity growing up young. But, you know, what? It, it sure taught me a lot. Did hockey give you some consistency through those moves? It sure does. You know what? There's nothing harder than making new friends every couple of years or every year. And one one thing you have in common is is once you're on a new team, uh, you you become to you know know who your friends are, and you 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 know you meet new people all the time. But hockey has that ability to just make such an easy transition in life. And without it, um, I don't know where I'd be with all those moves. Uh, it's it's not easy living that lifestyle, and I know a lot of people do. But you know what? The the constant in my life was always hockey, and and kind of turned me into who I am today. What was it like having to get used to new teammates and new friends on a fairly regular basis? You know, it's it's no different than any kids that struggle with it today. It's you know, it's awkward at first. It's always always um, you know nerve wracking to go into a new team or a new situation. But it also gives you a lot of character. You you learn how to talk to people. You learn how to communicate extremely well with others. And I think that, you know, growing up, that's, I, I learned a lot of that throughout all those new teams and new friendships that were made. Were you ever the shy type? <laughs> I don't think I could be the shy type, to be honest with you, Curbs. Um, you know, my mom's a pretty uh, outgoing person, and I think I, I do definitely get it from her. Uh, my dad's sternness as well. But you know what? 
it's it's something that when you when you you know can go into a room and make somebody else's day better i kind of learned that from a, a young age and and always uh always was the talkative kid in class so it was it was a like i said it was an extremely easy transition when did it start to creep into your mind that hockey could end up being a career Ooh, that's a, that's a good one curbs you know what it wasn't till late and when i say late most kids are drafted um to the OHL or, or, or know their path by the time they're 15 or 16 years old. And one thing I had was, you know, I had great ability as a young kid. Uh, and like most kids, when you turn 13 years old, um, you know, a lot of kids turn into math or into men. And I wasn't, I was still a boy and I was still a boy at 14 and 15 and 16. I was, I was tiny. I was small. Uh, I had ability, but, it looked like I was going to fizzle out. You know, I got extremely frustrated uh, with hockey and kind of took a little bit of a, a side break uh, because of that for about six months and just didn't know where I was going to go with it. And I had a little bit of a growth spurt in that summer. And I remember, I'll never forget, I got a, a, got a letter in the mail from the Tecumseh Bulldogs Junior B team to try out when I was 14. And I, you know, I grabbed the dust off the gear out of the garage and went out and tried out and, uh, almost made the team, and they ended up sending me to Junior C, which was, uh, as a 14-year-old, the, the oldest guy in the team is a 21-year-old. So I ended up wow. playing that year in Junior C, and uh, to be honest with you, started growing slowly. Again, wasn't drafted into the OHL my 16-year-old year like most people, uh, but I definitely wanted to go that route. Uh, but it looked like it wasn't going to be a, a way to do it. So then... I was looking at NCAA programs, writing my SATs as a 16, 17-year-old, just kind of starting to prep to maybe try to get a scholarship. And then my local team drafted me in the OHL uh, in the second round, and that was the year it all came together. My 17-year-old year was my first year in the in juniors and also was my draft year to the NHL. So it, 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 it kind of all flourished and hit at once, and by the end of the year I was drafted uh, to the Dallas Stars. So how as a late bloomer do you go into that first year to becoming a first-round draft pick? <laughs> you know what? It just just having that mindset and that ability. Uh, I remember I was sitting fishing with my dad, actually. I told him I was going to lead the team in scoring uh, in the OHL, and he, and he looked at me and basically laughed. And, uh, <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> did he really? He, go, uh, he did. He goes, all right, well, go get him, son. You know, and, and it was one of those moments, and – uh, you know, I would go watch games on a regular basis when I'd have off games and go and watch the OHL and, and kind of study it the year before. And I just knew I would have success, to be honest with you. I believed in myself an extremely amount, uh, a lot. And then when I, when I made that OHL team, I had a, uh, an extremely successful coach in the name of Tom Webster, who just passed away, actually, that kind of took me under my wing and, you know, taught me how to be a junior hockey player and how to be, you know, next level, you know, can kind of ramp up my game. And to be honest with you, through his positivity, through his coaching abilities, uh, you know, I, I kind of flourished that year. And like I said, by the end of the season, uh, I was drafted and it was, it was quick. Cause I remember I, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know what the draft really was, to be honest with you. I didn't know uh, the, how the rating system was. I mean, just after Christmas, I was rated for the NHL draft, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is uh, this is pretty exciting now." So it went from being the small kid and just sticking with it, you know, just putting the naysayers away uh, and believing in your abilities, and then regaining my confidence and letting my confidence take off. 
So Mike Van Ryan remembered playing against you in junior hockey, and you know, and again for for those that don't know, you, you were you were quite an offensive hockey player in junior hockey, and had some really good offensive years in the National Hockey League as well. But he didn't reference the goal scoring part as much as he referenced still the even at that age being able to be an agitator. Was that always part of the game for you? It, it was, and it was. Um... You know, I, I remember having that, you know, that T-shirt, I think that old No Fear T-shirt where it said, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the fight in the dog. And yep. um, that that cliche stuck with me as a kid from from those ages. And, you know what, I just wanted to be more competitive than everybody else. You know what, everything, every edge I could possibly get on you, I was going to try to take that edge and, and be better and be stronger and be mentally better. And I it turned out to be in more of a, a radish if you want to say aspect of, of myself that, uh, you know, came, but it was honestly strictly out of compete. And, you know, me and Rhino laugh about it all the time. And Rhino left uh, the university of Michigan to, to come and play against uh, us in the OHL. And he was, he was a phenomenal hockey player and he was, he was, he was the head of, of what everybody wanted to be. And, you know, to be honest with you, I just looked over there at him and, I was coming for him, and I wanted to get him, and I wanted to drive him crazy, and and that was something that I, I challenged myself on doing, especially from a young junior age, uh, is is kind of going after that that the head guys of of certain teams and just making them making them try to quit, and uh, you know it's it's one of those things that stuck with me in my NHL career, probably a little bit more at times, but uh, also the scoring ability and aspect of things in junior um, was a lot of fun as well. Were you at the draft when you were drafted? I, I was. You know what? Once I started, obviously, um, becoming a pretty high prospect and, and knowing that I was going to you know, possibly go in the first round at the time, at the end of the first or second round, uh, my agent bought me my, my suit and dolled, <laughs> dolled us up and you know, brought my family and everybody out to Calgary. And uh, hearing your name selected, I, I mean, it was instant tears uh, of, of all those things, you know, flashed real quick, but... Uh, you know what it, it it was it was pretty surreal and every time I watch a draft every single year you can only imagine what goes through those boys heads that that are finally getting drafted yeah and then and I know you did spend a little bit of time those first couple of years in the minor leagues but you got a taste of the National Hockey League early too didn't you I did you know what one of my good uh, friends once I, I I got sent down and played about 20 games and in, in, um, in Utah the Utah Grizzlies was our, our minor team for the Dallas Stars and 20 games into it, I got my first NHL recall. Uh, my good friend Kirk Muller had a rib injury, and I remember getting called up because of Kirk Muller. And um, he, he, you know, kind of, he was an older player uh, at the time, on on the on the brink of kind of retirement. And I, I came in and, uh, you know, had a presence of, you know, played I think eight games and scored my first goal. And after I scored my first goal, I got sent down the next day. So <laughs> it was, it was that happens more things. than people realize. It does happen a lot, I think, too, now that I see it. But you know what? He was returning, obviously, and it's his spot to a veteran player. And by the end of the year, I was called up for the rest of the year and, and, and never really looked back and, until um, until a lockout. I went and played in the minors as well. But other than that, I played uh, you know throughout, throughout the NHL. All right. There is, for every athlete, a discovery period. And what I mean by that is the discovery period of – what type of player are you going to be and who are you going to be 
that fits uh, your style, your career with the team you're at. We're going to talk with the Steve Ott about that when we come back. We continue with the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show as this week we profile Blues assistant coach Steve Ott. And we'll be back in a moment on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. And again, we uh, thank you for tuning in tonight as we bring you back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench shows. We profile Blues assistant coach Steve Ott, who's kind enough to, to give us uh, his time for this entire hour of the program. And a lot, uh, Steve, you and I did a couple of games together when Kelly Chase had to miss a, uh, some games. And uh, it was fun doing those games with you. I've, I've got to think that, you know, for someone that's just a, a lifer in hockey, being a part of just about every aspect of the business has been an intriguing part of your career. It sure has, to be honest with you, it, it, and that was a lot of fun. You, you never picture yourself and, and, and what goes on in every piece of the aspect of the game, and that's from media to training staff to coaching to playing. All these different aspects of the game are, are special in their own way. And uh, But one thing we all have in common, we all love the game, and it made it extremely easy, to, obviously, to work with you and talk hockey. And, uh, you know, you're, as, a, as a person that knew that it was kind of – Coming to the end of my career, it was nice to get a taste of that as well. It's it's a different beast sitting up there. You don't make any mistakes. <laughs> you sure don't. You, you sure don't make any mistakes, and it's 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 a hell of a lot easier when you don't have the pressure as well and the stress. <laughs> oh, that's that's exactly right. Well, listen, you were a player in in junior hockey, like we said, folks. Uh, 87 points one year and 164 penalty minutes. 88 points the, the, his last year with the Windsor Spitfires and 178 penalty minutes. So your first full season in the National Hockey League, which was the 03-04 season, you end up with 12 points and 152 penalty minutes. It wasn't until a couple years later that you ended up in double digits in goals, had, had a 19-goal season, a 22-goal season, you know, some 12-11 goal seasons, 35, 40 points uh, throughout those years. How did you figure out what type of player you needed to be to be successful and stay in the National Hockey League? Well, that's a tough scenario because, you know what, I I feel like I have almost three or four different parts of my game throughout the years, and they all start in a different period. So when I broke into the NHL, I was on an extremely successful uh, team. I got drafted. They won the Cup the, the year before I got drafted. They went to the finals. Um, they had a veteran-based team. And when I broke in, I knew, how am I going to make this team? Who am I going to push out? Well, you know what? They got an open spot on left wing on the fourth line. So I'm going to go, you know, run around, bang guys. If, I gotta, if I'm going to need to get in some fights, I'm, let's fight. But I'm going to do anything I possibly can do to be in the NHL. And that, that's where that basically started for the first few years, never getting any offensive uh, coaching uh, or, or I shouldn't say coaching, but NHL uh, like power plays or, or scenarios that can kind of success uh, set you up for the success to have offense. And I and I and I do call that bad coaching sometimes. No, just <laughs> just remember but, that. Remember that exactly right. But you know what? He just not beating out veteran guys at the time and wasn't you know extremely ready for it. And as I grew, I would take certain areas, and it started with penalty killing. You know, you know, as as a player, I want to be, you know, a, a great penalty killer and be relied upon in those, those situations. So I learned the penalty kill, knowing that I'm not getting the offensive look. Then, you know what? I, I watched, you know, a guy Manny Mahalter, well, he's getting out there, 
in the last couple minutes just to take faceoffs. And while I'm sitting on the bench from the last eight minutes on, how do I, you know what, I'm going to get better at faceoffs. So faceoffs became an aspect that I now knew that I could get my, my minutes up per game and be there at, you know, at the crunch time of playing extremely important minutes. And then, to be honest with you, you know, when you started seeing the success of, uh, of, of scoring, it, it, it's hard because I wasn't using that ability to my game to, to a top you know, area. I always wanted to. I always wanted more. But it, it took the ability of one of my best friends, Brendan Morrow. He actually got hurt for the year. And then I got to go in his spot. And, when, and that's when now I, it became more of a complete player where I, I had to learn the penalty kill. I had to learn you know, the, the certain scenarios to play structured hockey, shut down roles or whatnot, just to make sure I was an everyday player. But then the scoring ability came as well. So now I was more complete. I kind of looked at myself as more of a complete player at those times. And that kind of flourished the rest of my career, to be honest with you, of just having, you know, structure because of great coaching from Dave Tippett and Hitchcock. So very structured guys uh, taught me the, taught me a lot about the game, uh, especially away from the puck and had the ability to do both. And to be honest with you, I think it, 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 it kind of made myself a commodity in the sense of playing 800 something games and, Get me around that league. Do you think that if teams were structured back in the early 2000s, the way that they've been structured the last couple of years, where they really are rolling four lines a lot more? I mean, we had times last season, you know, well, over the last two years, where Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev and Alexander Steen in a fourth-line role are pulling out 13, 14, 15 minutes a game. Do you think that those offensive numbers for you or something could have even been uh, different because of how those lines were used now versus then? Oh, for sure, to be honest with you. And you know what? The fourth line back then, too, uh, didn't see very much. Usually you had a, a, a heavyweight on the line as well. So, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't usually the gifted guy with the puck as well. So you're kind of – there's so much – that was brought into it and different, uh, different abilities of guys. But, you know, in today's game, everybody plays the game. Yeah, I mean, a, a fourth liner can be on the first line at times. And, and for us, if just looking at how our team's built, to, to run a, a line like we did uh, that was the so-called fourth line, if you want to say, with, with Steen, Barbashev, and Sunquest. well, you know what? They started every period for us. They played the important minutes. They, they were uh, the Boston series. I think they averaged about 17 minutes a night. So uh, just how critical they were and to watch them have the success was, was something similar. But I, I do believe if it was the same way, for sure, you'd hope to think that you would definitely put up more numbers. In my time with the St. Louis Blues, uh, some things that have stood out have been the battles uh, between certain guys over time. For example, to me, uh, there was – I looked forward every single time the St. Louis Blues would play the Colorado Avalanche because the battle between Keith Kachuk and Adam Foote were just were, were epic battles. Anybody, you know, coming in on on Chris Pronger, you know, just just an epic battle. One of the battles that stands out for me and always had is you and Barrett Jackman really seem to just have some epic battles kind of going head to head at at times. What do you remember about those? Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, coming into St. Louis, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It was uh, obviously a, a, a both very competitive hockey teams, so you knew you had some fire on both sides of things. Myself and Jacks actually played World Juniors Team Canada together, so we were very familiar with each other and actually buddies. And uh, you know what? Both guys are, are uh, you know, we are both competitive in nature. And once you put that puck out there, it, it didn't matter that we were friends anymore. And and we 
definitely took that to the next level. I think we fought, I don't know, three times maybe on paper, but it sure seemed like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of elbows to the back of my head or a lot of punches to his face or a lot of sticks swinging to, at each other throughout the games. And he's just the ultimate competitor. He's a, he's a great man as well. Obviously that the St. Louis people already know that and everybody else does, but you know what? He sure, sure loved to compete. And, um, we, we were, we, we definitely took it, uh, took it out on each other throughout the games. You're a very loyal guy, Steve. Was the trade out of Dallas hard? Uh, it was extremely hard. Um, to be honest with you, he put a lot of years in there. I think I played, I think 10 years or so, uh, prior to that trade and, uh, sure loved, loved everything kind of was a boy and turned into a man in that area and had, you know, my daughter there. And, uh, there was just a, such a, a great aspect of myself before I got traded out of there. And, uh, I was, I was extremely disappointed, but at the same time, uh, took on the next adventure and kind of just, you know, I, you got to make the best of, of, of any type of scenario, and it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna be a detriment to myself or my career. It was gonna be something that I really look forward to, and and kind of the next chapter of my life getting traded. What about that next trade where you're with the Buffalo Sabers? You and Ryan Miller end up coming to the St. Louis Blues in exchange for Carrier, Chris Stewart, Yarrow Halak, a first round draft pick, a third round pick, a big time deal that, uh, especially coming over with, with Ryan Miller. So you're coming with a teammate. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys joined us in Phoenix. I, I if I remember doing some interviews with you guys in that, in the hotel there in, in Phoenix near the arena. So you're coming from a situation now with a team that had expectations of winning a cup. I did, and and it was um, it was one of those things. I think we were last place or close to last place in Buffalo, and and coming into a, a first place team in St. Louis was just just the chance to win, uh, knowing that they have such capable players, uh, staff. You knew you knew that you were going to be in in the best scenario that you could possibly be in to try to win, and uh, to say it was disappointing that getting uh, knocked out by Chicago. Um, was was definitely extremely tough to take because I, I truly believe that was the best team I've ever played on, and we I you know the shoulda couldas what ifs all those type of things that was a team that should have won won a cup and uh, it didn't happen, but you know you like to think that maybe it made some players maybe some of the young guys that are, are on this team uh, you know the Jaden Schwartzes of the world or these type of guys that really have stepped up their games and maybe that experience was the reason why. We we won it last year though, so you know what you you got to take the the, uh, the the bad sometimes and and some tough situations to to see it really blossom. But I think a lot of those young guys, Vladimir Tarasenko's of the world, all these guys really truly probably benefited from that. But to be honest with you, it was pretty heartbreaking uh, getting knocked out once I was it was a blue. What's it been like to coach players that were teammates? You know what? To be honest with you, as a I was an older veteran guy, so when I was when I was here with St. Louis, I think they knew how I was. Uh, you know, they knew my honesty, they knew my kind of how I I am on a daily basis, and I, you know, I I treat the guys very similar to to this day as I did as a teammate. Um, but also, they they kind of they they know me as well. So it was was uh, on the transition side of things. I thought it, um, at, at first, you know, I got asked that in a lot of, you know, some interviews with, with Mike Yo and Army and how things were going to be. And every there was, I think, instant respect both ways from players uh, to coach. 
and it hasn't been a thing one bit, uh, and it's just been uh, actually, I think, better because I know them on a personal level, and they know how sincere I am to, to want them to have success. Well, one of the great aspects of uh, Steve Ott's reputation is being known to be one of the best barkers in the National Hockey League. How do you suppress that on the bench? We'll find out when we come back. One more segment with Steve Ott here on this week's edition of Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. We'll be back in a moment on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Well, and one final time, we bring you back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you here this week. We come your way every single Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. following the fast lane. And if you miss any of the shows, and we have highlighted Scotty Bowman, Al Arbor, Barkley Plager, Red Berenson, Larry Plo, Mike Van Ryan, Craig Berube. You can download the podcasts uh, at 101 ESPN. The show is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. They have great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Here's a quick testimonial for you. We've been finishing our basement, uh, and part of the flooring we wanted to do where the kids are going to be doing their artwork and stuff like that, I didn't want carpet. So I went into Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, found one of their luxury vinyls that looks like terrific hardwood floors, and I said, you know, here's what we're thinking on the stairs, and and they're, they're... Dan over at the Manchester store said, well, we have this idea. And they could actually they basically put it on the stairs with the towing and the, the front white boards, and it looks fantastic. So uh, it was their creativity that's helped them make this project work for us. So if you get a chance, stop in, give them a chance to work for you. Boardwalk is a locally family-owned business doing quality work in our community for more than 22 years. The three area showrooms are open. Give them a call at 314-730-3100 or shop online at boardwalkhardwood.com. We've been profiling Steve Ott during this week's edition of the show. Uh, Steve, we asked you how what it's like to coach some teammates. What's it been like to be on the bench coaching against players you used to sit on the ice and chirp against? <laughs> well, it's uh, it's definitely muted me a lot more than I was as a player. Uh, <laughs> there, there's been some scenarios where I've had to say a few things and, and, and whatnot, but to be honest with you, I'm trying to keep it as professional as I possibly can. And, and also, it's a little bit different because as a player, when you, when you bark or you react, you try to fire up you know, your own guys sometimes or, or it's just you know, part of the game uh, that you know, draws guys in. As a coach, you have to actually be careful. Uh, two things, you're not out there in the war anymore, so it's a little bit different for some guys and putting guys in bad scenarios sometimes. But also, just you have to make sure that the players aren't reacting off you and maybe you know firing up something in a, in a, in a negative sense where they're, they're out there running around and you know take a penalty because you, you've said something or you, you've, you've created an emotional situation. So definitely having the right feel is, is key. But also... Every once in a while, it's just too tough not to say something. So it, it does slip out, and then you know afterwards, some of the players will be like, they'll they'll start laughing or whatnot. But uh, to be honest with you, you're too busy on that bench talking to certain situations, situational plays, watching structure, rewinding iPads, and everything else to kind of you, you start to miss some of the little aspects of the game. Um, you know, maybe a, a small cheap shot that that you you, you kind of would have seen as a player rather than you know, miss situation because you're looking at more of a structure or just numbers of the players. Who were some of the players that when you played, you would put in your Mount Rushmore of chirpers? Uh, as in who, who were some of the best? I would say, yeah. 
you know, you know, Matthew Barnaby, uh, he would definitely be up there. He was always, you know, lippy and, and nonstop and also got to play with him. Uh, another one, one of the best would be Sean Avery as well, who was, who was definitely known for it. And again, got to play with him as well. So I think you threw us three into the mix. And especially when you played with each other, I think, um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't very much air out of there because we were sucking all out and yelling at everybody. So it was, it was, uh, extremely fun to, to be out there and, and yipping as a player. What's an example of a time when, uh, because of that style of play that you had, plus your ability to chirp and, and get under him, that you knew that you had a player? That you, you know, knew what, you, like, you know, like, I got this guy. You know what? My, I would say myself and Jerome McGinley, it was, it was uh, something we went at each other extremely hard and uh, to the point where he just, he would be boiling and I just knew it was coming and he was tough. So I had to make sure I was well prepared because he was, he was extremely tough and strong, but he was, he was a guy that I could just, I basically didn't even have to say anything as it got to that point that, that he was boiling. So he, we had some extremely good battles myself and Iggy. Pat Maroon said that you were one of the hardest to play against because of it. You, you knew you could get under some guy's skin if you had the right chirp. It, definitely. And I, I mean, I, I think, to, I like to think of, I never really crossed lines. I mean, I think I had a, I, a certain respect for, for people that, you know, you, you kind of, you pick on things, idiosyncrasies in their own hockey game or whatnot, but there definitely is a fine line that I would never cross or, or, or do so. So, you know what, I think guys also, it became funny more than that. And, you know, you know, calling guys out in front of their own teammates, uh, you know, there wasn't too much personal stuff unless it was a personal uh, man-to-man type of thing. But other than that, I, I think guys all knew what type of guy I was and, and what was going to be said. And, uh, you know, I, there was a lot of instances where I'd, I'd have a whole bench cracking up at some of the things we said. And, uh, you know, it would just be a, a funny situation on the ice. So I think it's, it's how you handle it as well and, and garner your own respect. When do you think – I'm going to pull you back into the coaching world now. When do you think the St. Louis Blues – players took over their own destiny Uh, coaching is obviously important but Ken Hitchcock always said we know we're making strides when the players take over the room and essentially you know handle things themselves when do you think that happened well I think it was a collective situation Um, I think everybody obviously you know you 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 lose uh, a good coach in Mike Yo and uh, you bring in 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 chief to to run a, a scenario and you know, he's got a young assistant coach in Mike Van Ryan. He's got a young assistant coach and and myself and Dave Alexander and Sean Farrell. And uh, it was extremely unbelievable to watch Chief pull this group together, uh, to to watch it happen mentally and and tell them, hey, no outside noise, no nothing. We put ourselves in this situation. We're going to get ourselves back, but it's going to be you know demanding. It's going to be an everyday process. And I think from his coaching and his leadership ability, it transferred extremely quickly to our guys. And then we had guys that really took it over. Uh, you know, obviously with that Alex Petrangelo as a captain and, and Steiner and Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Chen, I can go down the list, Schwartzies, uh, you know, silent Jay Bowmeister. So you can go down Colton Pareko taking big steps. Uh, it, it was unbelievable to watch this team become a team. And it, it happened, you know, I think throughout sacrificing for each other. Uh, you know, I think we're an extremely demanding staff and how hard we want to play and how physical we want to play. And Chief had these guys, uh, you know, every single game playing like this. 
but they did it. They pushed to a level that I've never seen a team push for that I've actually played uh, with or, or for. And to watch these guys sacrifice for each other physically uh, through bumps and bruises to the, the way they played the game, uh, a selfless style of game. It was no, there was no one individual trying to dangle through a team. It was a team aspect throughout, and, and the guys would continue to preach it. You know, you'd hear Pat Maroon continue to say, boys, we got to play this way. We know what our game looks like. And that, you know, in essence, from that, the leadership of all the guys passing on to our young guys, like, you know, you know, obviously the Thomases and Vince Dunn's of the world, you, you pass those things on to those young guys, and these guys just took off. And we knew we could beat anybody. And, I, and the players basically you know obviously prove that to the to the world that they how hard they played how much they sacrificed and then everything team aspect came out and honestly it was it was man it was it was extremely uh surreal to be in that moment before a team that is that is struggling can become a winning team again they have to start really working on the culture. And to, to me, and this I'm, I'm making this statement, I'm not putting these words in anybody's mouth. To me, that's one of the reasons, whether it's whether it's where Buffalo has been, whether it's honestly been where the Edmonton Oilers have been, or a few other of these organizations that for a long time have had a hard time finding their way back into a, a good level of relevance, it, it has to be culture. But that doesn't happen overnight. I mean, yeah, you can't catch lightning in a bottle and go on runs, but it doesn't happen overnight. How much do you think uh, the the Alexander Steens, the David Backuses, the TJ Oshies, and the guys that were part of bringing this team out from where they were dead last in the National Hockey League to relevance again helped lead and helped build the culture to what you guys put a cap on last year? I think it's an extremely important fact. Uh, you know, you, you also, you know, you, you leave out a guy like Barrett Jackson. He was yep. a heart and soul type of player as well. Uh, with all those guys, I think it, it's crucial. And then we've talked about the success of, you know, the, the next level of guys that have come up through Petros to, to Schwartz, to Vladdy, to, to all these type of guys that have kind of were in that era and known those guys. And I've seen that firsthand. Uh, playing with Mike Badanos and Hatchers and Zubobs and Daryl Sedoras, all those type of players. And it's unbelievable to see it get passed on. My own example to Brendan Morrow, to Marty Turcos, to myself, to certain guys with great, strong leadership, uh, you know, breeds leaders. I don't think you're, 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 uh, you're just born a leader. I think you, you lead through experience. And to be honest with you, to watch the guys garner so much more experience throughout those years, set them up for success when the time was right. And they were obviously all huge parts of the reason why the St. Louis Blues have a Stanley Cup. How ready are you to defend this title if we get a chance in the middle of the summer? Oh, you're giving me goosebumps. I'm, I'm extremely ready because, you know what, this team, we're, we have a special time and, and you never know when the time's up or the time's going, but you know what, we all know that this team can do it again. And we've proven it through our so far, uh, you know, the 73 games. But you know what? I think the players are ex- uh, extremely excited to, ho- to hopefully get going again. And if we do so, we know how hard we can play. We don't know the scenario what's going to be based on. But you know what? We're going to damn right. We're going to try to, to repeat this thing. And I know that every single uh, player, every you know portion of the staff, we're all in this together and, and want, want nothing but success. 
Yeah, you know, that's that's the cool part is you you can feel it when you're around this team. Like, yep, this team could do it again, and I hope we get the chance. Steve, thanks for giving us a good chunk of time today, man. What awesome catching up and hearing some of the stories about how you got to where you are. It's been a, a heck of a career, and, and, you know, really the second career of coaching is just getting underway. Best of luck to you. It sure is, Curbs, and I really appreciate you having, uh, having me on and taking the time as well. That is Steve Ott, and uh, we appreciate him joining us here on this week's edition of the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show. Hey, the hockey isn't done this week, folks. Play Gloria. The St. Louis Blues run to the cup, presented by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating and also by McDonald's. Comes your way tomorrow night and Friday night. Tomorrow night, we bring you the replay of Game 5 against San Jose. And then Friday night, that fabulous historical Game 6 that sent the St. Louis Blues to the Stanley Cup Final for the first time since 1970. The pregame shows, new pregame shows, which are really like postgame shows since we already know what happened, they come your way at 6 o'clock with the replay of the play-by-play coming your way at 7 o'clock both nights. Again, you've been listening to the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Thanks for tuning in on a Wednesday night. Have a great middle of the week, everybody, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow night here on 101 ESPN.